Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. I created this podcast because I was curious to learn about the startup ecosystems in developing countries. The Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast is where you will hear me have unique conversations with early stage startup founders, ecosystem builders, innovators, and investors from across emerging markets. It is an opportunity for all of us operating in these countries to learn, share, and exchange experiences beyond our borders. Although complex and varied, there are more similarities than differences in the narratives. If you're new, welcome. Rare ones come here to gain fresh perspective and insights into what is happening on the ground from the people who are creating shifts and driving the action. It is where they can connect through stories which are distinctive, honest, and relatable. Thanks for listening in, and I hope at the end, you feel compelled to join our growing global community of rare ones. It's Joanne here. Welcome back to Series 9, Education and Adoption, Blockchain in Africa. And this is Episode 182. And as always, I'm excited to welcome you back to another episode of the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast. So today we are going to Morocco. However, our guest is based in South Africa. So we're a little bit north and a little bit south. Nonetheless, I'd like to introduce you to Abdel Fattah Mutaki. Okay, so Abdel Fattah is the co-founder at Emerge Blockchain. He is also an ambassador for the Patient Tory Association. Abdel Fattah sits on quite a few boards. He's a well-known speaker, and he also helped to co-author a book titled Blockchain in Islam. So in today's conversation, Abdel Fattah is going to talk to us about an organization that he's developing, which is focused on decentralized politics, and he calls it Depot. So we really deep dive into this concept. So what are you going to learn in this conversation? You're going to learn, obviously, about Abdel Fattah himself, a little bit about his general projects, what he did when he, a little bit about what he did when he was co-authoring the book Blockchain in Islam, not much, just a little bit. And then we're going to go into Depot itself. Why does Abdel Fattah believe Depot is needed across the continent? We talk about the the properties of Depot. We go a little bit into the tech, but not too much. Um, what he's looking to do, what kind of support he needs, what's next. And of course, we end with lessons learned. So this is another great conversation. And I do believe that you will enjoy this one because it is a relatively new concept. And it's not something that we hear discussed often. So let's get straight to it and listen in to Depot. All right. And I will see you guys at the end. Bye for now. Greetings, Abdel Fattah, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Thank you, John, for the invitation. I'm so honored to be with you today. Oh my gosh, it's it, the pleasure is all mine. I'm really excited to have you on to talk about this topic. It's different, it's unique, it's really interesting, and I think the audience is going to enjoy it. So Abdel Fattah, tell us, who are you? Give us your background. Talk to us about growing up in Morocco. 
Okay. <laughs> well, that's that's been uh, 15 years, you know, I know. Uh, between Morocco and South Africa. Mm. But yes, uh, as I grown in Morocco, I I I had um, the, the privilege to 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 go to the best schools in Morocco. Yeah. And not because my father was rich, just because. I was achieving, achieving, you know, my grades where it enabled me to, to go to special school. Wow, and, uh, fantastic. And especially, you know, the, 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 the high school where um, it was a, a school that always changed the history of Morocco where, you know, that school, the first to talk when there's something wrong that's been done by the government of Morocco, that's where the protest starts. That's where the talk starts. Before, um, you know, at that time already understands how society can defend itself, even though the leaders are pushing the agendas and all of that in a peaceful way. Mm. Therefore, growing Casablanca also gives me an understanding of, um, you know, as a metropolitan, um, a, a, a city boy, as you, some people may call it, but uh, I focused on uh, the, the diversity that's basically the, the, the city itself offers in terms of trades, in terms of politics, in terms of, of health, in terms of all those aspects. Um, um, I was basically involved in, in at a, a, a very young age with my father. We, <laughs> he had a, um, a soccer or still the soccer team is still going where he bought two big cars and started collecting, you know, all the street boys from the street, of course, with, uh, with, with um, you know, speaking to their parents because they collect them and then he takes them home and tells them, where's your house? And they go to the house and my father would speak to the parents, to the, to the father and the mom, and explain to them that he wants them to be in his team because he wants to get them out of the street and he mm. wants to, to, to basically give them a, a, a solid physics and also to educate them and give them in a way that, you know, the soccer will change their life and the whole family's life. And until now, that, um, a, you know, team, it's still supplying the best soccer players in Casablanca to the greater teams and also overseas. Wow, it sounds like your dad, your father was a noble guy, a nobleman. <laughs> He's a man, the man that understood that uh, the only way for us to live in peace is when you're generous and when you're compassion and when you love. And, and, and when I say love, love is unconditional because it is unconditional. You either have a love or you have a hate in the heart. They don't come together. Therefore, mm. you're a lover, you love everything. And if you're a hater, you're going to hate everything. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like growing up in Casablanca, I mean, Casablanca is the sort of the political hub of, of Morocco, right? So it's the, it's the economical hub that Rabat Economic. is the political hub. Rabat, yes, Rabat. You know, I, was, I visited Morocco in, oh my gosh, 2012. Yeah, Amazing. yeah. And I remember, yeah, yes, that's yes. The day, that's the year my father passed on. Sorry. Oh dear, wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was a not a good reminder. I'm sorry about that. No, no, no. It's a best <laughs> reminder because oh. I know that mm. you know our fathers, you know, they gone ahead. 
we yeah. know that where they're going, we're also going to go. We're not going to live here forever, but true. we inspire to live forever and do good change. True, true, true. I do have memories of Morocco. I remember, I think Casablanca is the white city and Marrakesh is like an orange, yellow kind of color city. I remember them by colors. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, and then Shafshawan, Shafshawan known to be the blue city. The blue city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get to make it there. We went to Fez, uh, Rabat, Marrakesh, and Casablanca. Yeah, it was, and we went, of course, out in the, well, uh, the, the desert. Those are the best places, yeah. I loved Fez. I loved Fez. Fez was amazing. Yeah, my mom, my mom is from Fez. Okay, okay. So then, how? My mom is from Fez. Okay. Continue. My mom is from Fez. Sure. And she's from a family uh, that's renowned to be involved in politics, and that's how the political blood comes to me because I see um, all her um, uncles were ministers. They were mayors. And in all, all the, 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 the cities of, of Casablanca and, and actors and singers, therefore, that mm. also contributed to my diversity in terms of how I see life. Got it. Do you still have a lot of family back in Morocco? Yes, I do. My mom's still alive. May Allah oh. give her a long, time, a long life, inshallah. Bless her, bless her. So how did you end up in South Africa? Well, my father again. I mean, uh, <laughs> I always say we um, we were invited here for a conference, myself and my father. Mm. And at that time, just finished uh, matric, and then he gave me a decision because it was either going to Spain and study in Madrid, or staying in Cape Town here. Mm. And, uh, that's a choice that he gave me because uh, I was gonna go to all plan to go and study um, criminology mm. in Spain mm. and and that's basically when I arrived to Cape Town I forgot about criminology I <laughs> forgot about everything else and I saw that Cape Town is the hope of Africa mm. the hope of Africa why do you refer to it as such because it, it it welcomes diversity and also people are easy in each you know on each other. There's working together. There is harmony basically in the city. Okay, South Africa I haven't visited yet, so I can't speak about about any time being spent there. But I, I have heard a lot of uh, interesting things about Cape Town as well. So yeah. Cape Town is your home now for fifteen years, right? Yeah, that's correct. So you've been there for a long time. Now you have a really unique background in that it you know you you it covers finance. You've got obviously a lot of political experience, and then now there's the tech, which is blockchain. How did you get into blockchain in the first place? Well, the blockchain is it was it was an eye opening when I heard the name first. Mm. And when I heard the name, somehow it clicked, you know, in my, in my, it inspired me, just the name inspired, I didn't even know what, what it entails until, you know, my brother, because he is a, um, an engineer, an IT engineer in Holland. Okay. And he's tried to convince me, you know, from many years from the day we were in the same room because he was, you will sit 
the whole night, you know, facing the computer, doing things. And I'm always complaining about him, you know, being up the whole night. And then I only understood, you know, what he was doing after when I discovered blockchain, because I, I'm, I'm not a person that will waste time, you know, looking at the screen. I'd rather go and converse and speak and figure mm. out and help somebody or whatever, mm. rather than sitting and by myself trying to figure out my life. Mm. But um, he, he told me about the blockchain and then immediately the name intrigued me and then I went to search. Okay. And I went to search. I see a lot of things about cryptocurrency. I see a lot of things about finance. I see a lot of things about banking and, yeah. and, and payment. Basically, everything that's actually not society is more, more trades and finance. And that's not where you build a society. You don't give money. You give skills and you right. give education. Right. Therefore, um, I, I got into a program by Oxford University called the Blockchain um, Strategy Program. Mm. Um, and, and it lasted around, let's say, three months or four months extensively, um, you know, working on the, 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 the program every day and every night. I mean, uh, that, that six months, it felt like five years or six years of my life of studies and research and assignments and, you know, conversing and meeting people. Therefore, that, that gave me a, an understanding of, yes, you know, blockchain can be linked to cryptocurrency and finance, but actually not the solution to what the world needs at the moment, because you could start with finance a hundred years ago and mm. then try to fix the, the society. But the problem now is not money. The problem now is politics and right. politics because it's so dark and misunderstood within the, 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 you know, the political class because they think it's, it's money making right. rather than problem solving. And, and that's basically where everything gone wrong because now the finance is controlling the politics, not right. the politics that's controlling the finance because who pays the salaries of the politicians? The bank. Because mm. if they don't borrow money from the bank, on your behalf as a citizen, they won't be able to actually draw any salaries because that's basically the reality of what we live at the moment. Therefore, I looked at it and I said, okay, how can we, you know, understand the functionality of it? You know, I went through a lot of courses in terms of how mining works, uh, how tokenization works, and how, you know, the effect of quantum computing when it comes to security of the blockchain, because that's the only basically risk to blockchain in terms of hacking and manipulating the, mm. the outcome of the engine. Uh, of the engine. Mm. And I said, why not politics? And, and that was, you know, my approach from day one where, yes, I understand the technology, but I want to find a way to make politics transparent that everybody understands it 
and everybody contributes towards the society and the well-being of of the society. Yeah, and I'm really excited to get to the politics part of the conversation because your approach and how you believe blockchain can be used for like just for education and everything else is is through a political lens and that's that's unique it's not something that if they if there are other people doing it i know we've talked about this um i don't think there's anybody else doing it the way you're approaching it but it's really really different it's really different but before we get into that can you just talk to us a little bit about your projects you have a couple of projects right or businesses rather you have emerge um You've got, I believe you're an ambassador for the, is it the Patient Tory Association, right? That's correct. I'm an African, African and Middle East ambassador for Patient Tory Association. Okay. Can you just tell, tell us a little bit about like Emerge and what you do there, what it does, and then your role for as, as the ambassador for Africa and uh, the Middle East with uh, Patient Tory Association? Yeah. In terms of, of the Emerge blockchain, it was an idea that we discussed, me and my wife. And, okay. and, and that was, um, you know, to start an awareness, we have to create a, non-organi- a non-profit organization and focus on the training and coaching on the blockchain. And okay. that's been probably for the last three years for free. Basically, it's for free. Oh, wow. And this is something yeah, you and your wife do together. Well, my wife, uh, my wife um, has an understanding of the blockchain and right. she is basically studying and completed her studies in international law. Right. Okay. And from the international law, she is taking on a cybersecurity law where, where it's going to be a beneficial for, for the organization. Fantastic. We want to train people on that aspect, how to protect their data, yeah. how to protect their calls, how to protect their cameras, how to mm. protect their, their mics, and how to, to be sure. able to control the technology from the inside because the manufacturer tells you the information, but who's going to basically, how are you going to get to that, you need somebody to remind you, and it must be an awareness that yes, they watch you from your phone. Yes, mm. they listen to you from your phone. Mm. Yes, they track you from your phone. They know, but the only way to protect yourself is you knowing how to enable those things, and also to choose the product that spies on you the list, or maybe a non-spying, and that's basically creating. A, a phone, a new phone that's going to be based on a blockchain where mm. nobody spies on anyone else. Mm. So this is a kind of like digital hygiene, right? Teaching that's sort of correct. how digital hygiene, cybersecurity. I mean, because with anything on the blockchain, you have to, you know, you have to invest a lot in in, in cybersecurity. That's a, that's a huge aspect of, of storing yeah. data, right? Okay, great. And yeah. then... So that's, is that, uh, that's the that's Emerge, Emerge, Emerge. Okay. okay. Emerge blockchain is, is a partner for patientry. Okay. And also a partner to Origraph. We chose two protocols that proven to be um, riding the same wave as us. And okay. we partnered with them. And also we do their training. We do their uh, marketing in Africa and also we do, you know, strategy for them, 
how to infiltrate and how to correctly implement the blockchain within Africa. Okay, so are your are your clients mainly like public sector? Are they private companies, or is it a mix? It's uh, mainly executives because we we focused on the heads and people mm. that can make change, and anyone in academia, especially. I have done um, few uh, interviews and classes and conferences with uh, universities and mm. one of them is King College University in England. Right. And I was a guest there and basically hundreds of, of the students wanted to understand how the technology will help the lawyers, how mm. the technology will help the accounting, how would technology help the doctors. And then I had to basically give them a, a, a strategic way of how all those industries can approach the blockchain from one window and then from there they can expand. Right. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. And then you sit on several boards. I think you're an advisory as well. So you're, you're very active in different organizations in different ways. Yes. Yes, that's uh, with the India-Africa agreement. There okay. is a, an agency, a government agency that approached me to, to take an advisory position as, um, you know, the advisory on the blockchain or advisor on the blockchain uh, as they take uh, projects in Africa and implement them. Therefore, in India and Africa is, is quite close relationship because of the history that we know a lot yeah. of Indians have immigrated to, to Africa before the Chinese arrived here, before the, the, the European arrived here. Mm. And, and they made a big difference in, in, in Africa where they really worked so hard to get, you know, things done and also help society wherever they go. Therefore, mm. we chose you know, to, to, to work with the Indians and, and Orograph is an Indian company registered in the United States and also is approved and tested and all of that. Therefore, we, we're trying to, to, to bring other parties, other views than just what, you know, us. Therefore, we, as we go, we create partners and as we go, you know, other countries and other people come. I mean, the, the Europeans are welcome, the Americans are welcome. And, and this is a societal, it's a humanitarian kind of an approach. It's not like a, a flag approach. It's, it's, it's everybody, any color, any religion. Right. Ah, speaking of religion, you were also involved with um, the writing or the publication of blockchain in Islam, right? Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. So is that sort of an approach of how, of how, blockchain can be used within Islam in different ways in terms of like just living or practicing or how, how, how does that work? Well, as you may know that Islam comes with rules. And, yes, of course. It's a way of life. Of, that's <laughs> it's correct. a way of life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Therefore, in, uh, there are certain aspects of Islam that requires tracking and requires reconciliation and requires okay. to, to be done perfectly to the T because right. the Islam, you know, speaks about inheritance. 
and, and marriage contracts, right? For example, yes. like marriage and contracts then, and things like that. Mm. That's correct. And also charity. Charity also has to be done correctly. Right. And right. business. Lot of lot of transaction. Basically, ninety percent mm. of the room is actually business transactions and lifestyle. Only ten percent is the worshiping. Okay. Okay. So within within the you know Islam as is a way of life, really, we don't want to call it a religion because it's so much bigger than that, right? It you can right. be. Yeah, it can be used, uh, like implemented in, in different ways to kind of support what's already there, to support the framework and the laws that already exist. Yeah, like to make it, I guess, more secure and so on. Okay, that's really interesting. Was that something that you worked on with someone else or was it like your, your own project? Because I, I love that. Yeah. I love how you found you a way that, to weave that, that in. That was a project that's been done to for a, a specific leader. Uh, okay, I got it. I don't have the right to to, to announce his name. I understand. But okay. that book was specifically for him. Um, okay. And, and and for his own understanding and use. With also there's a strategy of how to be implemented with also all the necessary tools that required for it to be to be implemented correctly. Therefore. It's in the person's hand, and I I just uh, um, oversee the implementation of that project. Wow, that's great. You know, something I've been thinking about is certain communities, for example, like Aborigines and Native Americans, whether they're, you know, the, the, the native people of a country, whether they're in Australia or the United States or so on, where they have different similar to Islam, you know, they have different traditions or rules or so on. Mm -hmm. And many of those mm -hmm. things are always so oral, you know, and handed yeah. or handed down to the next generation. Or non-proven because remember, if you go to the internet, mm. this is where the confusion and Google, you know, they can quote me. They, they have done a, a tremendous, um, a tremendous injustice or injustice Mm. to the society as a globe because right. they allowed for fake news they allowed for fake inter interpretation and they also allowed for for basically a lie to to be spread while you know a, a a verification process has to be done is this true you know yeah. and then it can be circulated but in our language arabic mm. we call it fitna Fitna, fitna ah, is yes. spread lies. Okay, okay. And, and spreading and spreading lies in the Quran is considered more than a killing a person. It's okay. worse than a killing a person. Okay, okay. Because spreading lies affects the whole society. Killing one person is only affects him. Right. And but that's where you know Facebook is is culprits. Um, you know, Google is caught because they allowed that to happen, even though we have the tool to detect all fake news and mm. lies in terms of religious practices and, mm. and, and, and political practices. Right. So like just carrying on that similar thread of like what I was saying, you know, whether it's within Islam or these indigenous communities, this, this using the blockchain in this way is quite empowering, right? Because then you can now, Very. yeah, you can now it's, secure it's, it's concerns, everything. Concerns, 
conserves and proven and secures the laws of that culture. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And we appreciate all the cultures. Yeah, all and the traditions. Are important, mm. are important for the safety of the heart because there are proven ways of living. Now, if we try new ways, it's the last, I mean, we've been in plan A for how many years? Mm. Many. many. For the last hundred years, we've been in plan A. Where okay. is plan B? Where is plan C? Ways. <laughs> Therefore, we have to move on because the youth is getting, um, you know, uh, anxiety. The, the youth are getting basically um, fearful. The youth are getting, you know, they, they're hopeless in terms of the future. Mm. Now, we want to give them hope of the future that, yes, political politics is going to be cleaned up. Politics is going to be transparent. Politics mm. is going to be viable for you that you also need to know what politics is and get involved because the youth, they said, we don't want to get involved because it's full of corrupt people. Basically, the low of the low people go into politics. And that's how our survey comes from thousands of people with one question, what do you think about politics? They mm. all say corruption yes, and of course. injustice, and, and that's it. All of yeah. them. There's not a single one that didn't say that the current politics is against um, growth. It's not for growth. Yeah. You know, this is a good segue into what you want to focus on in this podcast series, which is polit using blockchain for for political education and and sort of for political progression within the african continent so would you like to now introduce us to sort of you know the themes that you're working on the ideas and and just your pro any any projects that you have going on in terms of blockchain and politics in africa because you've got a lot going on which is exciting well uh, there is there's so much and i need a lot of help whatever help i can get from you personally yes. and from anyone that's actually listening to this broadcast. Therefore, the, the, the concept, the new concept, as you know, we know that the, the concept of finance called DeFi, mm. which is, stands for decentralized finance. Now, we came with a team and we did a few workshops and we came up with the concept called Depot. And depot is basically stands for decentralized politics. And the decentralized politics is going to be in the form of a party that's going to be created. Um, we have already identified the leaders in every country in, um, in Africa and some of the overseas also, they want to start the, dep the depot concept. And it entails that, you know, every aspect of a political party is on a chain. Basically, everything is recorded, including the emails, including anyone that wants to know. They must, they have all access to every meeting of, of, the, of the party and with the alliances. Whoever comes to our meeting must be able to uh, 
um, concerns that he will be recorded. Otherwise, he's talking to the wrong part. Therefore, that's our way of keeping our 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 members, you know, informed, and and we welcome feedback from them, and we we include the voting process in terms of project. Yes, can we get involved in this? No, we can't involve in this, and then the result should be live as we speak. Therefore, the members also will have access to the curriculum that the party will offer, you know, um, and also the healthcare and, and further progress and further education when it comes to skills development and craft and, and, and other aspects of society. Okay, the okay. members will will be able to get involved in the tasks and projects that the party brings forward, and then according to the person's you know activity and ta task completion, he is badged and rated according to that, and that gives him a position on his field automatically. You know, without having us, because we don't decide that the, the basically the chain decide and tells us, okay, this is his rating. This is what he's involved in. Therefore, the AI will tell us this person fits for this position. And then okay. we'll offer him the position within the party or within a department or ministry or whatever is required uh, from him. And okay. that also includes the voting of the, the 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 president himself of the party and hopefully the president in the future of the country where you know if the pre if the person is not involved in tasks and not carrying project properly and is not transparent he won't be able to be a president ever okay now for someone listening into this that doesn't know much about the continent, the African continent itself. Why can you sort of give us a breakdown as to why something like DEPO, decentralized politics, do you think it's needed throughout the continent? I mean, I, I say the continent because this is a pan-African project that you're working on. You're in South Africa, but the idea is that you, like you said, you're having different representatives around, around the continent, right? So why, why is this something that Africa needs? Well, as we all know, Africa has been painted with the dark colors, um, mm. left, right, and center through the media, through the, um, you know, um, external powers, because that's basically not true. The first thing, just to, to confirm, and uh, and also it's 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 a place where you know our our leaders are chosen. To uh, to be to be the gatekeepers rather than the helpers within the continents. Therefore, they have their own project going. They we know that most of our leaders in Africa, and that also was put in the survey. What do you think about leaders? Corrupt. Mm. Therefore, if you know, looking at the 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 the, the rate of corruption. And how we can get rid of corruption is the only way is to educate the youth about politics and how they can use it. We can't fight the existing system, but we can create a new system that will welcome the people in and treat them according to the constitution 
they have agreed on and also be able to be educated on the constitution and even given a choice to amend that constitution or refuse it or accept it. And there, that's where we start because the, the constitution of the party will be the constitution of the country. And that only can happen in Africa because that's, it's, it's, it's needed and most of the youth is crying for it. Okay. Now you mentioned that you, you conducted a survey. Was this just a survey of like a particular sample of the population, like age, like what was the age range? I know it was young people, but what was the, the age range? Well, the age range was basically from 15 years old. Mm. And we believe in uh, that my, my, um, my um, con like way of doing, I think, a person should be involved is not a child anymore when it's 15 years it's a it's a young adult right. and they have an ability to differentiate between right and wrong right you understand therefore yes. the youth is from 15 to basically 40 and those are the the the, the, the gap from 15 to 40 because 40 uh, also needed it needed you know, we needed their um, point of view because they think they, you know, they older. They, they, you know, we don't want it too old and not too young. Therefore, it's between 15 and 40. Right. So you've got a range. Now, you mentioned that you don't want, it's not about trying to change the old system, which is what the approach that most um, organizations, civic organizations, groups, lobbyists, whatever, all of them, they fall under the same umbrella, right? It's what they, what yeah. they try to do. But what you're saying is use the technology, empower yourselves with the technology to create a new system. So what will this new system look like? What would be some of the properties of, of depot? Well, the depot, first of all, transparency, complete transparency between the, the members. Okay. And and the and the politicians of the party. Okay. Okay. When you decide to 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 do to be a leader, an active leader within the party or the country, therefore your life is for the society is not yours. Therefore, whatever you do is, in terms of your work professionally, is is accessible to all the members. That's one thing. Yeah transparency okay okay second thing the functionality is free education okay completely free education because then we are focusing on the online system and with quite a bit of social where there is task or a project for that particular age okay. you know we're gonna have to age them therefore it's not just being at home sitting and doing your your project on the screen but also you have project that you need to record and you need to uh, implement and we can see that also on your records and all of that the the third thing is free health um, um, system and that's completely free at the highest we can because now the members are contributing contributing to that therefore it's going to be education health and any progress or development in the future also going to be free. I mean, let's say 
one of the members has achieved, um, you know, grade 12 and he's in matric. Now he decided he wants to know about cybersecurity. Then mm. the party takes him through the course of an approved course of cybersecurity and also implement them or deploy them immediately within the, the, the projects and tasks of the party. Okay. 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 Now, are you guys going to build your own chain or is this going to be built on an existing blockchain? Uh, it's, uh, it's an existing blockchain that's okay. uh, working and it's uh, on a DLT. Okay. Uh, the decentralized ledger technology, not sure. necessarily blockchain. Okay, got you. Yeah. Okay, got you. Yeah. Okay. Is that we, we are um, looking at the high uh, transaction speeds where mm. other blockchain or other protocols don't, um, um, if they have a proof of work, basically the mining, right. therefore it slows the transaction. And right. everything that we offer it's going to be tokenized it's going to be tokenized services right tokenized assets like cotton um tokenized uh, coffee tokenized uh, and that will link us to small farmers where they want basically to tokenize um they they product to increase and basically the quality and the quantity and that also is part of our plan where the farming and small farmers will come together and assist each other and will create an R&D for them, research and development lab, where they, they advise them on that. And those products of them, they're going to become tokenization, let's say a wallet of a person. Right. Instead of saying, I have Bitcoin, Ripple, I have that and that. No, mm -hmm. I said, I have two tons of rice. I have two tons of, of, of coffee, I have I three tons of, of, of cotton, but that stays with the farmer. When the farmer sells it, then it replaces, basically, he always has that in, in his wallet. Therefore, it's a tokenized system backed by a real asset, not from fantasy. For one reason is to keep the, 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 the interest rate low, and mm. also no no manipulation in terms of the pricing and in terms right. of the quality. You know, it almost sounds like um, you're trying to create this new web that's layered, political, economic, and social. But you're starting with the political layer for first. Is that a, an accurate way to describe what you're trying to do? Or am I completely well, off? John, uh, John. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. Exactly where it is. Wow. I mean, everything that you're saying. So I'm thinking here, okay, um, would there be some kind of like digital ID within this system? Would yes. or is that like like it's yes. you know like a tokenized ID or something like that that you can use for yes. for voting and, and for, for everything else, I guess, really? within the yes it's gonna mm. that's why it's gonna have to start at the party member because Got that's it. where identity is gonna come in okay. and that will spread into the whole of the country and the whole of the continent okay now what are some of the challenges that you've had thus far i mean we know the obvious challenges getting people 
uh, I know maybe not the younger generation, but the older generation on board. <laughs> That's an obvious one. But are there any other challenges that 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 you've had, or maybe you don't have, you haven't had them yet, but that you foresee with getting this to roll out? It's quite an endeavor. It's quite a task. The first, the first challenge is going to be the the political class, right? Um, where they they're gonna comment i know they're gonna comment mm. and they're gonna um, try to 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 convince that you know there is there is an issue with the with a plan but otherwise um i don't foresee any challenges because there is a definite um real support from the crypto um arena and it's a big Big support. Therefore, you know, as you know, and mm. the, 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 if you have if you have this 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 um, you know the crypto um, people uh, behind you, you you shouldn't be um, you know concerned about the finance. But again, it's not just about finance. The finance is the less problem we have. But the the, the other problem is basically been misunderstood because we're not here to take over it's just to fix what we have right now from a practical perspective looking at infrastructure i mean south africa definitely would have you know the infrastructure to roll out this sort of high-tech system but how practical is that in uh, to roll out in other countries in africa where the technological infrastructure is is not in place do you foresee that um, as a challenge not at all, because we we have um, found another solution for it. Okay. And in terms of connectivity, we have made a um, an inroad with a company in Germany that uh, makes a container Wi-Fi container okay. Okay. that can be placed on top of a mountain, and then it will basically give connectivity to the whole area. If it doesn't have it just needs some sun and some wind, and it's going okay. very well. Wow! Wow! In terms okay. of connectivity. Yeah, because you know when you when you talk about blockchain, then you have to talk about storage. So you you start getting into cloud and and data and, and all sorts of other. It overlaps with other technologies as well. So it, it just becomes this bigger 100%. thing to manage. Yeah. So I'm I was just really curious about. You know, like if you talk about infrastructure in places like, I don't know, Democratic Republic of Congo or something, you know, <laughs> like that, that's well, still, look, uh, yeah. The use requires guidance and finance. Yeah. Therefore, when you have, when you give guidance and finance in the correct way, with an honor, with, um, you know, consideration and give them, you know, that they, they are doing good and they should be proud of their work, they excel and and they innovate uh, therefore we are relying on our african youth to come with the solutions um, as it comes from any any of the countries therefore in terms of um the connectivity is sorted in terms of uh, data centers has to be created right and 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 that's also part of the plan yes we're gonna be using um cloud computing but mm. our cloud computing which mm. is in the making 
Right, right. Now, one of the, the things that we discussed offline was the issue of corruption, which which is, you know, not just that's not a, just a problem with within the African continent, but many countries around the world. So we know that the using um, block blockchain would minimize corruption, like for like, for example, in terms of like voting and making sure, you know, like reducing voter fraud, for example, like that's just like yeah. a, a simple example. And maybe even ensuring that votes are even recorded in the first place, right? So mm -hmm. from that perspective, right, you mentioned that there is going to be pushback from the political elite. Do you think that's why where most of the pushback is going to come from? It's going to be the issue of around transparency and minimizing corruption because it's it's not always in the interest of the political elite to to have transparency, right? Well, yeah, they don't, they don't, but they they still, you know, they they it's forced on them by mm. the citizens, but it's right. not forced on them by the big alliances because the alliances don't want them to be transparent because if they were transparent, then they know what they deal with, they're busy with. Therefore, it's not gonna be a, a way where we're gonna ignore them. Mm. It's not gonna be that way. We're gonna engage with them. We're gonna show them. We're gonna educate them. We're gonna see show them the value of being transparent, which gonna give them more access to finance than not being transparent. And that's our game plan where we show them that they'll make more profit in being transparent than being not transparent. Definitely. And I think I think that's the right approach when you're dealing with people who are a bit resistant to change or you know they feel, because there's a lot of fear that you're dealing with, especially from an older generation. And um, I think that when you show Basically, like I always say, speak the currency of, of the people that you're yeah. speaking to, show them how it benefits yeah. them. And then maybe that's a yeah. different approach. I mean, like, for example, I'm thinking about like countries right now, generally, a lot of countries are have been um, banning Bitcoin. And, and, and for example, we yeah. know about the case in Nigeria and so on and so forth. Yeah. But then it's kind of seemed like they've slowly come around. You know, it, it almost seemed like. I, I, I was listening to someone, I can't remember who, one of these big personalities in this space, and they were saying that a lot of these governments, they're just trying to buy time and figure out how mm. to use this technology. Yeah. And that's why they're banning it, because they haven't, with the exception of maybe China and some other countries, they haven't quite figured out how they want to use it yet. So they, they put out these bans as a way to mm. like almost buy time. Do you do you agree yeah. with that? Do you think that's one of the reasons why governments are so quick to well, you know ban crypto, ban Bitcoin, ban this, ban that? <laughs> Generally, yeah, there is there is two two ways to look at it. Yes, mm. they first don't understand the the technology at the executive level. That's why I told you, um, emergeblockchain.org basically what it, it, it focus on individuals and that's how we get that fear out of the way right because then we focus on the persons that can basically transmit um, uh, the understanding in the language that these people followers under him will understand therefore we focus on the head explain to them how how blockchain will help them 
personally first and then how can he implement blockchain in his department of ministry or whatever required sure that's one side it's the Mm. fear of the technology and not knowing how to respond to it the other side is basically the um, what we say the i mean it's 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 the the they they don't make decisions for themselves and 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 Mm. that we know Mm. Um, foreign forces at play (laughs) yes yeah yeah therefore Two, it's them not understanding that the, the and that's the problem in every country in Africa. Both they don't understand the technology, and at the same time, is not a decision that they make, you know, without consulting with the alliances and also uh, upholding the agreements that basically put there for for 99 years or 100 years, as we know in Africa. Therefore, I mean, uh, African countries are still paying. Um, taxes to France, and we know that, and, right. and that one of the things that people are not transparent about, it, especially the African countries, not talking about it. But we know, we know that they still have an agreement that needs to be fulfilled. But you don't have to be um, silent about it. You tell the people, this is how much we have to pay France until this year, and now we need to make sure that we. We get rid of of this neck, you know, color neck, you know, like Morocco did. Morocco now pays nothing to France, and it's 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 it's, it's completely their decision in terms of what needs to be done within the country. Yeah, but but even within that regard, things are slowly changing. Um, I know, like in what we call Francophone Africa, I know there have been some recent changes around having to have their reserves in in French banks. And I mean, I don't know the details, but I I know there have been some there's been some swift changes. But I want to play devil's uh, devil's advocate when you when when you say that a lot of these African leaders aren't making decisions for themselves. Do you believe then that they have completely, are you saying that they have no agency? Like they're, they're just, they're being forced to make certain decisions by, by. They're not, they're not being forced. They're not Mm. being forced. It's an agreement that happens um, behind doors for certain things to happen. Sure. Um, Sure. Let's say, I mean, um, Looking at the 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 the, the, um, the UN, mm. the United Nations. Now, who is who are the members of the United Nations? There are loads who of are countries they? in there. It's like how many countries are? Okay. Is it 195 countries? But let's. You mean? Or do you mean those who sit on the Security Council, the big players? That's what I'm saying. What <laughs> right, I'm saying. right. Okay, I figured that's what you were talking about. Yeah, we've got the big players yeah. on on the Security Council, the United you States, the UK. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the basically the main founders of that agency or that organization. Right, the Bretton Woods they, institutions. They have agreements in place. They right. have agreements in place. And one of the agreements is that, yes, you want stability, you want finance aid, you want aid. Those are the conditions need to be filled. That means you're also going to get money from that. Therefore, I see what you're saying. It's yeah. good for you to take loan from us because first, your immediate, your immediate needs in terms of keeping your people quiet is going to be fulfilled. And also your own project that comes around you know with regards to commodities with regards to currencies 
And those are the things that happen, you know, and we know about it. It's not, we don't. Um, yeah. And, and, and this, this basically stagnate them and they, they can't really make a decision without having to consult with their partners in that regard. Therefore, they put themselves in the chain because they have to fulfill their agreement. It's all about agreements. Right. Right. Now, what you're trying to do with Depot, it's it's quite an endeavor. Now, we know Estonia is the world's first e-country. So we, we have Estonia on file. But in terms of like, you know, a blueprint to follow or 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 places to get, I don't know, inspiration from or, or whatnot, are there any other use? Are there any use cases or any other projects similar to what you're trying to do with Depot in any other parts of the world that you can that you no, can look at or talk to us about? There are attention, um, you know, where and, and even before the blockchain was um, a known technology, they, yeah. they attempted some some countries. Um, I think it was um, from a Malaysian university mm. where they came up with a, a concept of digitalized party or digital okay. party. Okay. In Malaysia. Uh, but it was just a, a paper that was written and therefore the approach wasn't ready, you know, until now it is, you know, with blockchain, that could be a possibility, you know, because blockchain offers all those aspects that they mentioned within that uh, study uh, paper. Okay. You know, this might sound a bit far-fetched, but the way we're moving with technology, I wouldn't be surprised if we have new sovereign nations popping up that are just built on the blockchain, like sovereign nations within already nations. Exists, you know what exists. I mean? Oh, really? Already exists. No, like yeah. where? I've been hearing a bit about it, but I, ha I haven't done enough research to speak confidently about it, but would yeah, love yeah, for you to shed exists. some light. Um, there are, they are basically mostly built around uh, the cryptocurrencies. Mm. And these are like yeah. sovereign digital nations within established nations. I won't say I won't say sovereign nations is more like a um, a consortium of um, of a lot of people and they trade with each other. They, okay, they like mini mini other, mini economies. They share okay, things with each other. Yeah. Right. This, you know, the, the future is is going to be so interesting because you're, you're having people who are creating their own little mini con mini economies within bigger economies. And yeah. it's just it's quite fascinating, all of this and, and the possibility. The possibilities are kind of just endless with this technology. Yeah. So it was really, really exciting to hear about Depot. Wow. So what's Excellent. the next what's the next step for Depot? Tell us what, what's next on the agenda and how can people um, find out more about it? I don't know if you have a website yet or, or a place where people can reach you if they want to get involved. We haven't, we haven't released our website or anything at the moment because we, we don't want to jeopardize any of our uh, moves and strategy. Got it. Uh, and we don't, we don't want it to be like in pieces because we have to make sure that things are basically set up for people to 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 just get and ride the wave with us therefore the next step for depot is basically a big launch that's going to happen 
in Africa um, about the, 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 the concept itself and how the concept works without mentioning our plans. Basically, right. a new concept that will allow, you know, journalists to talk about, will allow normal people to, to, to search for and then allow people to talk about because this is something that people need to um, bring forward and speak. What about politics? I mean, you decentralize yeah. finance, but mm. what about politics? Why can't we be transparent on that level also? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and I think we're going to start to see, I guess one thing at a time, I, I think we're going to start to see more of like projects like what you're doing. But I say one thing at a time because maybe finance is sort of like the, the big challenge right now for most yeah. mo people in most countries. Like we often hear, you know, the unbanked, the unbanked, the unbanked. It almost sounds like it's cliche now, but it's true. So many people around the yeah. world don't have access to, to finance. So it seems like That's DeFi right. is like the big, the big hurdle, but there's so much more coming, you know? And I think, um, yeah. The next wave, we're gonna see more depots and goodness knows whatever else is out there. But like I Thank said, the the opportunities are are endless. So, final question for you: We love to share lessons on this podcast. What lessons have you yeah. learned from you know just all of your varied experiences and everything that you've been doing thus far that you'd that you'd like to share with us? Well, the biggest lesson that I have learned uh, through you know my exposure to First, different cultures, different religion, different, um, you know, sex, basically women, men, children, uh, you know, old people. I have learned that that anything that I, I would approach from now on, it has to have a, a strong sense of generosity and mm. a strong sense of compassion and a strong sense of love for it to work. Otherwise... It, it doesn't work. It goes to a level and it stops. Yeah. Therefore, generosity and compassion and love makes the people live in harmony and work together with the same goal because now we share what we have and we compassion, you know, with people that, you know, um, has, has, you know, not reached the same understanding or not reached the same if we mm. be compassionate with them and teach them and show them the way. And yeah. also we have to do everything by love. You know, if when you love doing something, you do the best and, 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 and nothing can stop you because you're doing out of love and not out of greed or not out of, of, of arrogance. We human, we human first and then you put a title to yourself, you know, where you box, okay, I am that person. No, I am absolutely nothing but my action and my words to you. And if I'm doing a good job, I'm talking to you with, with, with honor, then you respond to me with honor. If I'm generous to you, you're generous to me. If you love me, I love you. And then that's mm. how we live as humans. Yeah, you know, I think what you've just said is such a good way to end the conversation because I feel like we come to full circle because that's what you said at the beginning when you talked about your father. That's the kind of, yeah. those are the kinds of values that your father espoused. So I think you're still, you're, you, you are still living, you know, like you're sort of your father's vision through you, vicariously through you, I guess, if, if that makes sense. But yeah, that was beautiful. And um, reciprocity, very important, right? 
That's correct. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I think the best way for people to find you is on LinkedIn. I know you're pretty active on LinkedIn. Okay. So what I'll do, I'll, I'll put all your details in the, in the, the show notes so people can reach out to you, but thank you so much for sharing with us, Abdel Fata. This was fantastic. And thank you very much for hosting me. It's been a great time, you know, explaining this. Yeah. And yes. As, as new things come up, I will definitely, you will be the first person to know about it. Amazing. Okay. All right, folks, until next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us. This is an original Rare Birds HQ creation. It was produced by Rare Birds HQ and is meant for informational purposes only. If you enjoyed today's show, let me know by writing a review and do share it with your friends. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly podcast newsletters, weekly news, and of course, more podcasts. Do visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. Until next time, rare ones, bye for now.